Welcome to the second and final week of 2019 Winter Rewind, where we are reaching back into the archives over Christmas break to bring you two episodes on the most talked about topics in our community, siblings and teens. Last week, we replayed Giving Voice to Siblings, so check it out if you missed it. This week, we are replaying episode eight, Parenting Teens and Young Adults with the Future in Mind. Welcome to the Adoption Connection Podcast, where we share resources by and for adoptive and foster moms. I'm Lisa Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry, we get it, and we're here for you. Hey guys, Melissa here. When Lisa and I recorded this conversation about parenting older kids and young adults, I did not have my typical recording set up. But this is a topic that so many of you have asked about that we decided to share it anyway. Thanks for your patience with the less than stellar sound quality, and we promise to be back up to par next week. Hey, Lisa. Hey, Melissa. How are you doing? Good. So do you have a couple senior high school girls? I have. Yeah, I have one senior. My foster daughter is a senior, and then Claire is a junior. Those are such fun years. Um, so how are they doing? How's- School is going well. They haven't been in very long. I'm trying to think maybe two weeks, but because of various schedules and things, they already had homecoming. So last Friday night was the big homecoming game and the dance and they went together with friends and it was good. They're really doing well. It's a good start for both of them. The homework's starting to hit, but uh, yeah. Do you, are you guys a big sports community? Like does homecoming mean like a lot of sports games and like other things? Yeah, we're a fairly small-ish town. I mean, we're a college town, so of course there's a huge emphasis on college athletics. And when the um, college team has a game, all the hotels in our town and the other next town over sell out. You can't get a hotel room and things. And then in terms of the high school, you know, football is always the big sport, I think, for a lot of people. And so, yeah, people in the town come out. I'm looking forward to when my boys play high school football. That'll be fun. Yeah, that's not so much of a thing where we are. We're one of the few states, or well, our state sport is lacrosse. Oh, which, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe some people haven't even heard of it, but mm-hmm. it's a big, big thing. We're not really a big football community. And um, in fact, I went to a school locally around here that, I mean, we do have schools with football. So football is a thing, but it's just not as big as some of the other sports. And so I actually went to a local college, and my favorite college t shirt says UMBC football undefeated and they didn't, had, have a team. <laughs> didn't have a team <laughs> that's funny that's funny well lacrosse is definitely making its way out west and my older boys played lacrosse but it was pretty new in our town when they played it so they had yeah. to travel really far to find other teams to play so do you have any like really good high school stories from when you were in high school Oh my goodness I think the story that um, my kids think is funniest is that my senior year, our high school had, we had a rival high school right across the river. It was pretty big rivalry for small towns. And they were having a pep assembly. And I think for some reason, they had invited like some of our football players or something to this pep assembly. And my friend and I were both dating boys from that school. So we decided that we were gonna skip school and drive over there and go kind of sneak into this pep assembly. We thought it was a really great idea until we got there and we went into the gym and who was standing just inside the door, but our high school principal. And he turned around and he looked at us. He said, you girls get 
back to school. <laughs> and and the one of the things that made it worse was he was one of my dad's best friends. And we ended up getting in-house suspension. And it was like they built these weird study carols that were floor to ceiling. And we had to spend an entire day in them, I guess, to learn our lesson or something. I don't know. But yeah, my kids think that's really funny. Oh my gosh. Were you generally like a rule follower or were you, was that kind of like part of the course for you in high school? I was not a rule follower. <laughs> I've never been very good at following rules. I, yeah. I was a rule follower, but if I could twist the rules or like make the system work for me, then I would do that. So I was class president with a couple of my friends who were class vice president and treasurer and secretary. And so we used to skip a lot of school, mostly in the morning. And then we would come in and go to our class advisor and tell her that we had been out, you know, doing some official class business. And then she would write us passes to get into class so that we weren't unexcused latenesses. <laughs> so you were like a really good kid who did sneaky things. Yeah, we were really good at that. So yeah. I hope my kids aren't listening. But So a lot of the questions that we have been getting from listeners and in the Facebook group have been about older kids. I was actually a little bit surprised. I kind of felt like on this island all alone with my big kids and I don't know, but whether they were adopted as older kids or they were adopted as younger kids and now they're older. And I think, you know, the height of the adoption kind of boom, if you will, you know, was 15, 20 years ago. And, you know, it's been slowing down, but when it was at its highest, a lot of these kids are now you know, teens, young adults, mm -hmm. doing connected parenting while recognizing that our teens are naturally developing in a way that's meant to separate from their primary caregivers um, can be a little bit tricky. While we still kind of want them to have a relationship with us, we still have to give them freedom. And so we have launched ish three kids, more or less, and you have launched kids that came to you by birth. And you're heading in the direction of launching, or you, I guess you have launched one. We have. We've launched six of our kids by birth and one, our oldest adopted daughter, just recently, like weeks ago. Of course, your foster daughter is a senior, so you're right on the cusp of that. And even our youngest kids, we have younger boys, are kind of in that stage where they're starting to hit that teen adolescence that's starting to break free. Yeah situation. So we just thought this would be a really great topic for a whole episode. Um, yeah. Yeah. We, we do um, have a lot of conversations ourselves about our teens. So we're just going to let you in on navigating things together. And you know, the way we're talking about parenting teens may be quite different from how your friends are parenting their kids or how maybe my friends are parenting their kids. And I, I think, you know, one thing about adoptive parents, I think we are often used to forging our own path and maybe used to doing things our own way. But sometimes when it comes to um, decisions you're making about your kids compared to someone else, you kind of have to just put on your horse blinders and do what you know is best for your child. Yes, definitely. So nothing that we are doing with our older kids and even our kids by birth now, because honestly, this whole connected parenting thing has really shaken up what we thought we would be like as parents to teens. We're just not doing it the same way as the other people around us. And so we just have to kind of be confident in what we're doing and press forward. We have done it different ways. We have parented with way more structure and with way different 
a way different picture of what success is with our older kids who also came to us as older kids. And honestly, it did not go well. And it was really rough. And our relationship with them really, really suffered. I'm thankful that we had a therapist who was able to sit me down and talk a little sense into me. And it was probably, she is so wonderful, but it's probably like the most direct. And she wasn't harsh, but just super direct about, you know, what we were doing and really challenged me to define what success was. And based on that, kind of guided me in a direction to help me kind of write my path with my older kids. And I'm saying me here because my husband is way better at this than me. And so a lot of the things that went wrong, I will take full responsibility for. You know, she said to me, do you want a continued relationship with them when they're older? And at this point, they had already left us and they had already left us and told us they never wanted to come back, which was really, really hurtful, obviously. And in some ways, it had been so difficult that a little bit part of me wanted to say like, okay, that was nice. But I mean, obviously, that's not how I wanted. And I wanted them to be able to have continued healthy relationships based on that goal of success and not necessarily a behavior-based goal or even a skill-based goal, because I'm as you probably heard in other podcasts and other episodes, really, really into self-improvement and I'm goal-oriented and I'm task-oriented and moving away from checklists was really, really hard for me. Right. As I think when our kids are younger, we get to set up a lot of structures. We have to let go a lot of a lot of that as they get older because their lives become very full with other things like school and jobs and sports and all kinds of things that we have to have a looser hold on them, you know, as they get older. And I think one thing that happens with our teens that come to us from hard places, from trauma, is that for a lot of us, we've been working very, very hard to build attachment, to build secure attachment with our kids. And we've talked about this, I think, a little bit in a past episode. You know, as Melissa said earlier, there comes a point in a natural progression of a teen's development where building that deep connection or attachment anymore, but you're wanting to maintain and build connection. And so for me, I've had to, with my older adopted child, come to a point of saying, you know what, I want a relationship with her and I want to have connection with her. And I don't know exactly what that's all going to look like forever, but I can release some of this at one point all-consuming, maybe need on my part because it was my goal or whatever to create this secure attachment and just accept the relationship for what it is and for who she is and try to build connection for the future so we can share our lives together. I would say forever, but you know, yeah, forever while we're both alive. So just to clarify a little bit, when we talk about attachment, one of the ways to look at attachment is the cycle of having a need and then being in a relationship with that need can be met. You know, with really young kids, a lot of those needs are more like physical and tangible needs, older relationships, um, and even in younger relationships too, it can be emotional needs, having an emotional need and then having someone in your life that is able to meet that emotional need. And so having these needs and then having them met by a specific person again and again builds what we call attachment. It builds trust. What we found with our kids is, especially because we adopted them as older kids is we didn't have as much time as we necessarily needed to build that really healthy attachment cycle. We had to realize that sometimes our kids, if they struggled with attachment because of so many broken relationships in their past, we might not get to the point before they 
stopped living with us that we would get to the point where they could trust us for some of those needs. But even though there wasn't that innate trust about how we could meet their needs, we could still maintain a connection. And I used to really get my feelings hurt when my kids would go in other places to have their needs met and feel like I had been such a failure. I've just come to realize it's just part of the cycle of attachment. It's part of some of the limitations of relationship when you just don't have as much time with kids or, you know, even if you've had your kids from an earlier age, but if they do have attachment struggles, it might just be a lifelong battle to really have an attachment with a parent figure. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, you know, part of attachment is being a secure base for someone maybe we're not going to have that incredible secure attachment with some of these older teens, older kids, but we can still be a safe landing place for them somewhere where they know they can always go, where they will always be loved, where they will always be accepted. And, you know, we can let other people at this stage do a lot of the correcting with them. I mean, coaches, teachers, youth pastors, friends. I mean, even just this last weekend, one of my boys was, having a bad attitude about his position in the football game on the team. And so rather, I I tried to kind of say something to him, but he had, he didn't want to hear it from me. So I went to one of his coaches and said, you know what, you need to talk with him. So letting other people take some of those roles on, I think is really good at this point. Yeah. And I actually thought I had a different role or I put in my head that I had a different role. I really thought coming into parenting that it was my job to be hard on my kids so that they were prepared to go out into the real world. I was trying to protect them. I didn't want them to get onto the real world and be like, no one ever told me that, you know, I was going to have responsibility or hold my commitments or I don't know, whatever the case may be. And so I kind of felt like it was my job to be the one that pressed all the buttons and made sure that they were ready this goes back to like that skill thing. And I can do that with my kids who have really secure attachments that I've had from the womb on forward in some ways. But especially with kids that have attachment struggles and definitely are not attached to me, I don't really have the trust and the right in their life to be that person. And it just sets me up to be the bad guy. And it sets them up to want to leave and not have connection with me. And so I had to really, and actually this is something else that our therapist really challenged me on was switch your role. You need to be the safe place. You need to be the encourager. You need to be positive. There are other people out there that will let your child know if they're not doing the right thing and they will stumble and they may come up against some challenges in life where they may not have been ready to do the adult thing or whatever is expected, but they're going to need to come back and have a safe place to land when there's disappointments or when they struggle with something. You're not going to be able to prepare them for all the challenges in life So what you should do is just prepare them to have a safe place for when there are challenges in life. And so that is still something I have to remind myself of all the time, but it was such a huge paradigm shift for me and really, really important in our relationship with our kids. And I think the other thing that's important with teens and young adults is to really figure out what your parenting priorities are. You know, what really matters? What is really important? You know, their safety is important. What do you think? What else is important besides safety? Honestly, we kind of land there. I know if it's not a safety, an immediate safety issue, and I am the queen of drama. So I'm not talking like a trumped up safety issue. Like if you do that, you might a one in 5,000 chance, like get kidnapped off the street or something like that. Like I'm talking like a legit, don't 
go jump off the 15 foot cliff into three feet of water, kind of like safe. No questions asked. If you do that, you will get hurt or die. Safety. And other than that, we have really tried as our kids have gotten older to really let a lot of other things go like hygiene. I know we really want to control this and we want we don't want our people to go out in the world stinky or smelly or wearing the same clothes for three weeks in a row. Trust me, I'm a wellness coach. I can make that into a safety issue if I really, really want to. Mm-hmm. But honestly, people, it's just not. And I can tell you that because I have boys that have gone weeks without showering or without changing their clothes. And you know what? They're still alive and they didn't even get sick. You know, for my, my kids now, that, that is one positive part of peer pressure is my boys actually care what they smell like. Maybe slightly, unfortunately, they also care about their clothes a little bit. Not that their clothes have to be really fancy. They just have to have the right logos, which I hate that, but it's important to them. So they can, they buy a lot of their own stuff. Yeah, I think that we really have to focus on what's important. And with my girls, the hard part is clothing in terms of modesty. And I've sort of decided with my foster daughter, I mean, she's just about 18. And the other day she went out wearing something that I, or she was going out wearing something that I was like, no. And she argued and argued back and forth. And I thought, you know what? It doesn't really matter. I mean, I would prefer that she not dress like that. It wasn't horrible or anything. It was just not up to my standard. Actually, it was a length thing, so it wasn't down to my standard. Anyhow, um, <laughs> but you know, I thought she's she's about to be on her own, and um, it's I have to let that one go. Yeah, I agree. I I can't keep my mouth shut, so I sometimes would say things like, you know, did you check to see how tight those really look, or you know, do you realize the message you're sending when you dress like that? But then I would have to let it go. You know, I didn't want them to be ignorant about it, but like you said, you can't control it. And, you know, once they left, they could do whatever they wanted. And we picked way too many of those battles the first go around with our kids. And they did. They just left. They just were like, we don't want to have to be controlled like this. And we don't have to be here. And they found other places to be as they were old enough. Again, I think when we start feeling like we're in a control battle with our older kids, it's important to step back and think, is this something that's worth losing my relationship with my kids over? And I know that sounds really extreme, but it happened with us. We did lose our relationship with our kids for a period of time over things like clothing and music and media and hygiene. Yeah. Sometimes we have to allow our older kids and our teens to even make some unwise decisions and let the natural consequences happen. I mean, and I, I know some of our kids we're talking about have um, cognitive challenges. They have prenatal exposure that cause and effect is a problem for them. But at some point, they're going to be on their own. And we're talking about teens. They're, go- they're going to be out on their own, and they're going to make decisions that may not be wise. So if they make an unwise decision while they're still home, at least we can help them process the results and the consequences of that. Maybe it will make an impression. Some kids, it may not, but hopefully with a lot of them, it will. Even as your kids get older and they do start to spread their wings and they go do their own thing, they will make mistakes and they will find themselves in situations where they're going to need someone. And I mean, you really want that someone to be you. If they left or if your relationship hasn't been repaired in such a way that you can be that person, they'll find that person somewhere else and sometimes really in not healthy situations. And we've experienced that with our kids 
to be able to turn that ship around and our kids were gracious enough to give us a second chance. And then, you know, we just had to be really disciplined about remembering what a gift it was to have a connection with them and, and again, picking our battles. And so the direct thing that our therapist said to me at some point was, you have to stop asking questions. Every time you ask a question, it comes across like you're being critical and you may be just curious, but it's coming across as critical. And so she challenged me for six months to a year to just smile and nod when we were talking to our kids and, and use the words, thanks for sharing and not really say anything else. And slowly but surely, they started to understand that we were a safe place where they could share what was going on in their lives and get encouraged and be listened to and not be criticized. Um, we're still kind of working through that with one of our kids, but it's definitely better than it was. I think that was seriously the hardest six months of my life, but it was well, well worth it. That would be really, really hard for me. <laughs> now, were your kids at that point, they were out of the home though, right? You weren't doing yeah. day-to-day parenting. So, you know, you were in a position where you could just listen and not need to deal with their behavior yourself. Right. But honestly, these particular two of our kids, really, even when they were in our home, their behavior was stuff that really if I had dealt with my own stuff is stuff that I could have done that with. It was not aggressive behavior. It wasn't safety behavior. It was good practice because now we have a 13 and 15 year old that are coming up behind them. We're practicing a lot of that. And these are kids with more attachment, healthier attachment. And so I do know I have a little bit more leeway, but we are asking a lot less questions and just doing a lot more listening. They are staying connected with us. I know that at 13 and 15, sometimes, you know, people say, well, we lose our kids to their room or, you know, it's kind of like always headbutting. Um, and of course they're definitely finding their own things to do and they don't always want to hang out with us, but sometimes they do choose to. And I think it's because we have really, really been super intentional about not being the parents that are just critical all the time and always questioning and always just wondering. And we've really, just decided to show with our actions that we're going to trust them and hope for the best. You know, we did get a question that we thought we'd, we'd put in here that we could talk about. And the listener asked us, uh, she said, my biggest challenge right now is that I have a hard time knowing what is okay and what isn't as far as letting my 15-year-old spread her wings. I don't want to shelter her, but I also don't want to let her do whatever she wants. So this was so interesting because when you and I talked, Melissa, we, we would handle that somewhat differently. Yeah, I mean, you guys already heard. I'm we're pretty and permissive's not quite the right word. I think it's kind of like stealing. Like if you're gift if you're giving something to someone, they can't steal it from you. We we still have this structure part where our kids have to ask us to do things, but we just give a lot of yeses. So it's like that high structure, high nurture piece. You know, we don't let our kids walk all over us or speak to us however they want, but they also haven't resorted to that in a long time because when they speak with respect you know, we have chosen to not die on a lot of hills. And so we are, with our blessing, giving them the freedom to spread their wings. But I know um, you're doing that a little differently with your kids. So talk a little bit about, talk a little bit about that. Well, here's a funny example. Just, just this summer, we've been letting our boys, both of them, ride to the pool and to the gym. And, you know, we live in a small-ish, really quite safe town. but it was hard for me to give them that kind of freedom. And then all of a sudden one day 
Ebenezer calls me from his friend's phone and says, mom, we're riding the bus to the mall. Okay. Well, first of all, our mall is very, very small. And our bus is a free bus that literally, there are two buses. One runs one route and one runs the other and it's free. So, but I was like, I don't know about that. And my son, Noah, who's a young adult now, he was like, mom, he's 13 going on our little bus to our little mall. He'll be fine. But it was sort of like, I hadn't yet wrapped my head around that kind of freedom for the boys. So for me, I think it's harder to sort of release some of that. And, you know, when Claire started driving, we got this app, which Melissa would never do, but I love. It's, and it's free. It's called Life 360. There's a paid version, but I just have the free version. And basically, it's on their phones, and it just shows me where they are. <laughs> and I just feel better. And it's not like I'm spying on them by any means, but I just feel better knowing where they are, that they're safe if they actually came in by their curfew, because we do have a curfew, I probably hold, I definitely hold on more than Melissa does, but that's what makes us great is that we're different in how we parent our kids too. Yeah. I, I think that app would be great. Like I would probably only use it if I thought my kid was dead and I ditched somewhere. I probably wouldn't actively like figure out where they were going. And I will, I will disclaimer this to say our youngest has a lot of developmental challenges and we do live in an area and in a situation where it's easy to not give freedom because we don't have access to a bus or public transportation. I mean, we literally live in the middle of nowhere. And so with him, and because he's so amenable to it, he's very easy to high nurture and he can be really happy with us if we play our cards right. We do not do this with him, but I think we would if he really started pushing back against it. Um, but he hasn't, and we've really tried to make it a situation where we can have a lot of control over where he is and what he's doing. For him, it really, you know, is much more of a safety issue than it would have been with some of our older kids. I just want to lay that out there to say that I know all of our kids are different, and we have to take into account all the different pieces, because I know even, Lisa, your boys have a lot more freedom than what we would give our youngest son, and they're about the same age. But like I said, we live in a situation and that we can monitor that a little bit differently without having it to be like, but all the other kids are because in our area, not all the other kids are doing any of those things because we live in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it's interesting because we actually don't live in town, but we live right on the edge of town. So my older kids really didn't bike into town much at all. But I think for my boys, being with their friends and being at the gym is such a part of who they are playing sports and stuff that they're willing to bike in. But it's definitely, we're definitely not in the middle of nowhere. We're just on the edge of somewhere, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) So I think another thing I want to bring up is that it's really easy to get caught up in the ridiculous with our kids. You know, a lot of our kids, they can argue like nobody's business. And it's really easy to get sucked into that, which is completely um, non-productive. So, um, Melissa, tell me, how do you avoid engaging with all the ridiculous, the arguing, the blaming, the saying cruel things? How do you do that? I don't do it well. But I think, again, going back to experience, I used to engage in a lot of that. And it ended terribly <laughs> with our kids. I do a lot of imagery in my head thinking about being the lighthouse 
picture it as a storm and just really big emotions coming out and really nasty things. I also think about a roller coaster, you know, a kid getting on an emotional roller coaster and then me just staying on the platform. I'm here for you when you get back, have a safe ride. (laughs) I think it took a lot for me and a lot of mindfulness for me to realize the visceral reaction I would have when certain things were said. And then I had to remember that not to pay attention to the words, but kind of understand what it was telling me, where it was really coming from. And so to understand that things like, you never do anything for me, which I'm a acts of service love language girl, like that's how I love people. So for someone to tell me I've never done anything for them is literally like putting a knife in my heart and twisting it really hard. So things like that, things like you're not my real mom, or you know, you're the dumbest mom ever. I mean, just all the things. And even just dumb arguing, like, I don't know about your kids, but our kids have this just insane ability to ask questions in a way that almost felt like they were using logic, but would rope me into this like ridiculous argument that really had nothing to do with logic and was all wrapped up in downstairs brain, reactionary, not thinking at all from either one of us. And like I said, it just didn't get us anywhere far. And so I just as a discipline now try very hard to underreact to those things take note as to you know what it might be telling me about where my kids are and what they might be struggling with but just nodding thanks for sharing same thing my favorite phrase now you know and just not even engaging the fact that any of that is happening I think that's good advice I like it Definitely easier said than done, for sure, though. I mean, I won't, but it's, again, it's just that image of thick skin, a turtle, I don't know, whatever you have to do to imagine just not letting those things affect you. Yeah, you really cannot take it personally. You just can't. Because if you do, it will be so disheartening. And that's where I struggle is, after a while, it hurts me. And I feel so sad and so defeated. And I know I shouldn't take it personally. But it's hard. It's hard to have someone saying cruel things about you and uh, the way you parent or who you are as their mom. And it, it does wear me down. And I definitely sometimes feel discouraged. But overall, I think when I cannot take things personally, I do better. So what about when teens are actually ready to leave home? Any thoughts about what you recommend, Melissa, for kids about to leave home? I mean, I was just thinking as about this question myself. We've had kids leave in such different ways. Most have gone to college, but they haven't actually moved away. They've gone to school here. But we've had one son go fairly far away from our perspective across the mountains over to Seattle area for an internship. And then uh, my daughter, Beza, has now gone to San Diego for Job Corps. There are things that we've done to prepare them to transition out, mostly trying to help them learn how to manage finances. That's been important with some of them. My kids from an early age learn how to do their laundry. They know how to cook, things like that. How about you, Melissa? Yeah, well, I think, again, just because of big family and your family was even bigger than ours, our kids fended for themselves in a lot of ways, laundry, food, Again, our kids came to us as older kids, and so they had a lot of life skills just because of survival. Mm-hmm. We launched two of our older kids to Job Corps, and I know you just did that with one of yours. And you know there are a lot of positives and negatives about Job Corps, but if you have a teen who's struggling with transitioning or struggling with just being in your home because of attachment issues, Job Corps can be a really great option, and it provides a lot of freedom with a lot of structure. Our kids went 
under 18. And so there was even more structure for them because their you know, Job Corps turned to look at us for permission for a certain amount of things. It gave them an opportunity to finish high school. It gave them an opportunity to learn from other people. It gave them some life skills. It gave them an opportunity to see kind of the way other people handle responsibility and some of the life skills that they learned were things like getting their driver's license. They learned a trade which they were able to use to get a job and and one of our kids has done really really well with that and really taking advantage of being trained in a trade and having the help of a job counselor and all of those things. So I would just say there are lots of ways for your kids to move out from you and Again, just focus on being as helpful as you can, encouraging as you can, and it can be really hard. Sometimes our kids have behaviors from their trauma and their attachment that make it really hard to want to be the encourager. But just, this is like where you have to kind of pull up your big girl panties and do the adult thing. I'm only saying that because I've done it both ways. And like I said, you don't want to end up where we did. I struggle. I still struggle. And it's very easy for me to tell you what the better way is here, but I want you to know that it's it's still super, super hard. But I do know that when I get it right in that way, the relationship benefits are so, so worth it. Well, and I think the beauty of your story is that it's being restored. The relationships are being restored through your willingness to parent them as young adults, parent them differently, to be humble, to seek forgiveness, and just be willing to open yourself up to have a relationship with them again, instead of, you know, it would be so easy to say, we're done and, and put up kind of a barrier, you know, especially your kids came to you so much older and, you know, and it was really difficult, but I think it's a beautiful example of the way God can work in our hearts and um, in our kids' hearts and bring relationships to a more beautiful place, even if they weren't that way at a certain point, at an earlier point. Well, thanks. Uh, we are, we're definitely still on a journey. And again, one day at a time, and it's easier said than done. And here at the Adoption Connection, we are just blessed to be walking alongside so many of you. Thank you for all of you who have given feedback about the show and continue to share your struggles with us. And so we feel really we just feel really honored that you're letting us speak into your lives a little bit and share this time with you. Yeah, we really love it. I, this podcast is one of the highlights of my week. I love recording it. I love everything about it. It's a lot of fun. And I do want to mention too, um, we've mentioned it in the past that we do offer uh, private one-on-one coaching for anybody who needs some extra help. And Melissa in particular is uh, taking new clients right now, or I don't know if clients is exactly the right word, new mentees maybe. So if you have something that you need some one-on-one help with, uh, Melissa's available. I'm available a tiny bit. She's available a little more. And we'd love to help you out if you need our help. And you can find information about that on our website, theadoptionconnection.com slash services. We will be back next week with a new episode on open adoption. Before you go, we'd love to connect with you on social media. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram as The Adoption Connection. Thanks so much for listening. We love having you. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a quick review over on iTunes. It will help us reach more moms who may be feeling alone. And remember, until next week, you're a good mom doing good work and we're here for you.
The music for the podcast is called New Day and was created by Lee Rosevere.